Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. We're both recording from DC Quarantine. Yes, Quarantine <laughs> Edition. And we are here with Lisa Lux. Um, hi, thank you so much for being here. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me into the space. Can you introduce yourself, give a little background, like what you do, anything else that you want to share? Sure. So I'm a I'm a writer, um, mostly poetry, um, performance poetry, also essays, and I've just uh, been working on. Well, I'm, I'm not just. But I have been for a while working on my first novel, and uh, I've also started writing for theatre as well. So essentially, like my work is, um, I write for for fe- feelings of of freedoms, for healing, to mobilise people, to inquire these things you know yeah amazing do you want to talk about what you're writing right now yeah I mean I'm writing a lot right now actually quarantine has got me uh, with my pen in my hand a lot it's nice I I, I don't know whether it is because somehow like the conscious mind is a little bit quieter so the unconscious mind and the imagination is really vivid at the moment um, you know, like uh, everybody sa- says they're dreaming a lot at the moment. I've got a lot of memories coming up. So I'm feeling very imaginative at the moment. So I am writing a lot. But the main thing that I'm focusing on is my novel. So it's an Arts Council England funded project. And uh, it tells the story of a woman called Eve who goes out in search of her heritage, uh, her Arab heritage, and she's trying to find a piece of herself. She's trying to feel more complete. She's trying to know herself better. Uh, But on the journey, she never quite makes it to her heritage land, which is Syria. Uh, Instead, she actually ends up meeting her birth father uh, by a lighthouse in Beirut. And uh, so, so it's really kind of a journey about identity and what identity means to us in this very identity obsessed generation that we're in what it means to be displaced um what it means to consider land as a parent or a parent as land Mm -hmm. you know yeah um so from what i've been uh reading and listening to from you that seems like not too far off from your real life story um what made you choose to take a fictional take on this it's a very good question, actually. Uh, sanity. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's heavily based on, on real life. But I did write it, I did write it as a memoir first, mm-hmm. um, and it felt uncomfortable um, because I wanted to be able to distance the people within it from their real life counterparts Mm -hmm. enough for everybody to feel emotionally safe with the process because it's okay one thing for me to want to go out into the world and unturn every rock within my uh, you know within myself and and this and the the space around me and find like the worm falling beneath it but it's not necessarily fair to do that to everybody else who I love around me so it was kind of just a process of safeguarding people emotionally um so that i could also then be freer and not be compromised not have to compromise the integrity of the message and what i want to say by being pinned down by um trying to be uh, you know kind um uh, as opposed to to being to being kind of free within the text does that make sense yeah, yeah totally definitely. um I've, I've also faced similar issues i'm sometimes a writer and I, i've done 
some like personal writing and spoken word pieces where I was, you know, I can say what I'm comfortable saying about myself and feel good about that. But once it gets to like anything about family members or like past relationships, it just gets into a weird like consent area. Like you didn't consent to be the subject of this project. Like I don't, even if it's true, I don't know that I could tell your story for you. Um, so yeah, fiction can can be a cool window into that where you're not as bound by like protecting other people's realities. Exactly, and and also the other thing is that our I, like I bet if you look back at some pieces that you wrote mm-hmm. some years ago, you don't feel the same way anymore. Oh, totally. And so for 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 me to put a text between me and somebody that I love and then probably change my my feelings in a few years time mm-hmm. but that thing has been made permanent because it has been set in ink and put out into mm-hmm. the world yeah. it's like it doesn't give you it, it doesn't give you space to angst freely without being held accountable mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what i mean yeah so, totally for some time later yeah. <laughs> but but how do how do you tackle that in your poetry then do you do you on your spoken word do you use kind of literary techniques in order to um obscure reality somewhat from from what it is that you're needing to express honestly i'm not sure if i figured out entirely how to do it and how i've practically dealt with it is just cutting out a lot of things um so there's like parts of pieces that maybe like artistically they were really great and important and everyone was like no you should keep this in there and i'm like no if i don't feel comfortable i'm just gonna cut it and maybe just do it at some more private readings and um yeah i don't know like i i'm not so much a fan of like for the sake of the art above everything else i'm like nope if i don't feel comfortable with it this is a person i'm just gonna wait until i figure out a way to be comfortable with it or i just won't do it yeah i yeah i respect that i i think there's there's a lot to be said for well one for for, for agitating but not to the point where you are um harming people yeah like, we're, like that is definitely not our purpose, is it? I think writers want to write a better world, not to not to go out there and damage people. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for like for different literary devices, kind of using imagery or using kind of fantastical imagery, or especially with poetry. With poetry, you can be a little bit cryptic. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, yeah. And and I think like now because of because of the spoken word, the current spoken word era and written poetry and and things like that we um have this whole generation of of writers uh, and i can implement myself in this who write too much with the audience in mind mm-hmm. and we forget to to write like a like a diary entry like a coded our own coded language our own kind of diary entry we we're kind of hyper aware of it be of it being heard almost before we even put the pen to the paper. Do you feel, do you get what I'm saying? Do you feel that? Totally. Um, So I think there's almost something kind of powerful about writing things that not everyone is going to get all the way, Um, especially like when you see like marginalized artists who aren't totally translating all their like references and ideas to be like totally like comprehensible and palatable to the most mainstream audience, you know? Mm. And and Mm. they're just like, nope, the, this line was in there for me. Mm. You're not the target audience all the time. Deal with it. Um, which, you know, it, there's some safety in that, and it's also, like, a statement in itself. Like, there's a statement in not 
translating everything, like whether it's like literal translation or just like references, you know? 100%. I love I love that, actually, because that gets on to, to the topic of how uh, kind of like the political act of writing in the language that you choose yeah. and how much you are choosing to write for everybody or how much you're choosing to keep the language for you and your community. Because, you know, it can be you and your personal self or it can be you and... Um, you know, the small section of people who are going to understand you and to say, I'm writing for these people and you don't you don't have a seat at this table. Mm-hmm. Like you can read it, but this isn't for you. Right. I think is a really powerful thing. Yeah. And takes, and takes guts as well, actually. Yeah, I think there's a, like, there's restricted spaces that are specifically just for a group of people. And then I think there's kind of what you're talking about, which is like an in-between where anyone can be there, but it's not catered to everyone you know yeah and and the people who you know choose to show up as like allies or whatever it's like you have to understand that not everything is meant for you yeah that's a huge part of allyship is just being willing to sit back and listen and know that not everything is pertaining to you Um, yeah 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 absolutely and and also would you say like it's about it's not going to be explained to you if you want to go out and do your research and work this out for yourself and do that labor then you do that that's fine yeah yeah like Like, this isn't the 101 show (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly exactly this isn't like crash course yeah yeah oh cool um sweet so as much as um you want to share on this podcast uh could you tell us a little bit about like your story of like finding and reclaiming heritage um and how that's feeding into your fictional writing? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I have a, I have a, a complicated complicated heritage because of the fact that I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, that 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 kind of also helps call into question all these notions of identity for me because the adopted person is always going to have the nature versus nurture debate at the very core mm-hmm. of their notion of self. So I was born to um, to a man from Damascus and a woman from uh, Manchester in mm-hmm. Northern England. And then I was adopted to a father from, um, he's Iraqi Lebanese and my mother is from uh, Leeds in England. So I, it was like a similar, it was like a, they'd like, yeah, it's kind of parallel. That's really interesting. That yeah, is. yeah. Yeah, the, the social workers are real happy that they pulled that off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we've got like a similar match. <laughs> so, so that kind of like that that made them feel good, and and you know, in a sense, it kind of kept kept me and my sister close to close to our heritage somehow. Yeah. Um, and so for the most part, like I grew up. Both me and my sister both grew up kind of. Um, relating to being Lebanese because I because right. we grew up with our tater as well like she raised us in the house as well and she's mm-hmm. Leban- she's, she was Lebanese um so we grew up identifying in that way like oh we're like Eng- English and Lebanese and then it kind mm-hmm. of started to set into me at some point um you know in the past nine years when there was just such an influx of of uh, of, of narratives on the tragedy of everything that was happening in in Syria it's like it, it woke something up in me on mm-hmm. a really core cellular level wow. it just something just started rattling like this is this is 
this is your people you know like you might not be there and you might not be with them and you might not have grown up like identifying in that way but there's something in your blood that is speaking now you know and that yeah. is feeling is feeling agitated and is feeling you you know really traumatized by everything that was uh, everything that I, w that I was coming to understand of what was happening the, so then I basically moved to Beirut a few years ago um, I was I've been living like on and off between Beirut and uh, and England um, and and started a life there like initially the plan was to go to Damascus but as happens in Beirut once you enter Beirut you just get pulled into the <laughs> bottom of it right yeah. <laughs> so so uh, so yeah so I, I I don't know that I've um, you know that I've kind of like healed the kind of complexities of within my identity or if I ever will but yeah. uh, but it's a but I'm on the journey I'm on a, a journey <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also kind of have, like, for totally different reasons, have, like, an interplay between, like, Syrian and Lebanese identity, because, like, both my parents are from Lebanon, and, like, I definitely grew up identifying in that way, but, like, a lot of my, um, like, mom's family is from Aleppo originally, and, like, her dad was from Aleppo, but, like, died before I was born, so, like, I've always had, like, less connection to that aspect of my family, but, like, it was always just like talked about casually when we were in Lebanon like yeah maybe one of these days we'll like also go visit Syria and it, it I just it used to be such a casual thing you can do yeah and mm. it's so weird to look back upon that now like nope now <laughs> now that's yeah. a lot more complicated yeah for sure and did you go uh no I, I've never been there and do you do how so how have you felt these 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 past nine years have you felt that like the frustration of not of kind of not having that connection have you felt that connection strengthen um i mean it definitely like raised my consciousness about it i think mm. like mm. what i don't know like the the way my family in particular is situated it just has made me think a lot about like how the impact of borders can change so much and you know how mm. we have like these like very clear lebanese and syrian identities now that used to just like not be a thing or not be so much of a thing and like yeah. people mm -hmm. in my grandparents totally. generation just talk about like you know moving from Aleppo to Beirut just super casually like not even thinking of how them being different countries and then separate right right and, and so few yeah. generations like a border that's used to be totally insignificant could become mm. like so life-changing right right yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. What uh, motivated that decision for you to like move or like half the time move to Beirut? I I went there and uh, well, I started spending more time there, and then as I did, I guess I just I just uh, I just built a life there amongst the poetry scene, the queer scene, like, and and just felt I don't know I don't know like whether it, it feels concrete enough to say that my 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 soul just feels really like it like it relaxes when i'm there yeah that's you know? enough of a reason <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a solid reason right yeah <laughs> and uh, like so i go there and i feel this like palpable change in my chest 
And so, like, I, I couldn't kind of deny that for the sake of, like, oh, well, I've spent, like, you know, 10 years building a career in England, so I need to, like, stay there for that. It's like, well, you also need to kind of, you know, follow your soul a little right. bit. So, <laughs> so, so that's why I haven't been able to let go of England because I, I, I did work really hard on, like, on, on my work here and I have a community here. I've got my sure. sisterhood here. I've got, you know, a lot of people here who, who I love and live by. But but like now I just feel like really divided and split between the two, and I don't know like being like being mixed heritage. I think that's kind of par for the cause, you know. Mm-hmm. You contain more. You like you just I don't know. One place doesn't really satisfy you somehow because it's not really doing. It's not really speaking to all parts of you, right? Yeah, as someone with a quite a mixed background, I can totally understand that. Yeah, because I, I remember when I when I listened to Drew's um, Drew's podcast, you were talking about your your mixed heritage as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, father's Saudi, mother is white American. Um, there are these weird moments where I realize, okay, these two very important pieces of me are extremely unknown to each other. So like the two, there are, I have these moments where I'm like, the two sides of the family will never connect. You know, mm, yeah, like really yeah. connect, and they're such di- they're totally different entities. But to me, it's like all part of one, all part of me. Yeah, um, yeah like and, like even when you called your mom and the other yeah. day, you had to explain Manish, and then after to, it, you were just talking about how that little moment was just it struck. It just struck me, yeah. So Nadia was making Manaish because <laughs> okay, Amazing. this is so Arab. Her mom sent Zatar, and and then um, Nadia made Manaish, and then I had to tell my mom on gorgeous, the phone. Gorgeous, first of all, first of all amazing. Like, where, they were, you they were like, not great, but I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I had to tell my mom on the phone, like. I was like, oh, yeah, Nadia's making this. And then I had to pause and realize, like, she won't know what I'm talking about at all. Mm. Whereas I have these clear memories of, like, eating them with my aunts and, like, getting in a fight with my aunt when I was hanging out with my Saudi family in L.A. And it's just it was just a weird moment of, like, I don't know, just like a word that's become, like, second nature to Mm. have as part of my vocab that I had to define it for my mom. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah, things I like that. You. Yeah. Um, you always feel a little bit divided, but also like, I don't know if you experience this, like there's a division within yourself, but there's also a, like a desire to bridge the two parts of yourself. And then you realize you can't necessarily always do that. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I understand. And it's interesting in relation to parents because, uh, like, like, how do how much do we turn to our parents in order to try and heal, like, make those bridges and heal those True. gaps? Yeah. And and, uh, but then they're also so set in their ways. Our parents and their generation, like, they are who they are. Like, you can't go back and teach your mom all these things, yeah. which is like something that kind of. It's a it's a it's a difficult thing to get your head around because you have to explain yourself where in in a in a place where you where you shouldn't have to yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So, yeah and yeah. no matter how open they are like my mom she's very open to evolving and learning and stuff but also like because of 
you know, her personal experience with my father, there's always going to be a little bit of negativity associated, like, with the culture for her. Mm. Um, it, it's just not something she can ever get rid of, and I don't blame her. Um, do, you, do you think that you inherited some of that at all? Definitely, yeah. Mm. And I, I, I don't know if it's, like... Yeah, that's another question of nature versus nurture. Like, is it because I heard all these little comments growing up? Or is it because of, like, I'm inheriting some of the, I, I guess, trauma, like, the trauma that, um, you know, that relationship caused? I don't know. But it is interesting to talk through that. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's inter- it's interesting how how we don't just inherit our parents um identifiers mm-hmm. um sure. but we I but we inherit their opinion on both their own identity and each other's and yeah. we then we our identity isn't formed of their identity it's formed on their relationship with both their own identity and each other's <laughs> somehow i don't know yeah, yeah. having parents is i can't speak to being mixed exactly but like having just having parents is complicated and like it's it's been interesting as an adult like when you grow up you totally associate like your culture or your ethnicity with the parents who passed it on to you um mm-hmm. and those like relationships are like so linked like i thought like if I'm distancing at at some point if like my relationship from my parents is distancing that like is the same as like I am distancing from my culture and this identity and um then later as an adult it's like no those those uh, like as much as I want relationships with both of those things but um like those aren't the same thing at all it's like you may have like gotten this particular sliver mm-hmm. of this culture as a child through your family situation but like yeah. your connection to your culture can be like so much more outside of just biological definitely. family yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like the people the- i'm closest to who are like people who are saudi who i'm closest to are not necessarily biologically related to me and I've like learned so much from friends of mine. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel the same way about kind of going to Beirut as well. I feel like I yeah. I kind of um, have created my own family there now. Not created, but you know, we've formed like, uh, become part of a family there that is nothing to do with like blood or relation or anything mm-hmm. like yeah. that. It's just, it's our chosen family. And particularly, I think that that happens when you're queer as well, like queer chosen family. I did not realize how important queer family was until I had it. Same. Yeah. Right? Also, (laughs) by the way, queer Beirut sounds amazing. Yeah, tell us more about um, (laughs) what you've been involved in there. Yeah. Yeah. um, Okay. Let me tell you about the sisterhood salons, actually, because I... I, the, I I I love them so much, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm really missing them today for some reason. I posted something to the Sisterhood Salon page today, and just it just made me really miss the Aww. the community. So, yeah. uh, the Sisterhood Salons is something that I that um, I started over a year ago now. At Haven for artists. Do you know about Haven? Yeah. 
Of course, yeah. right. Um, so at Haven's Old Space, uh, we started running the Sisterhood Salon, which is a space for, um, it's, it's a feminist literary gathering. Mm-hmm. So it's a place for um, us to come together, share our own work or share work from the voices of the female literary canon and then discuss it together. So the idea is that we are exploring where we're at as feminists, as sisters in the city, um, while doing so through uh, literature and through poetry and through um, you know, our own, our own like, um, musings if you like. And so what happens is that people will read um, and then we discuss what we've heard all together and it's always packed out and usually it's like candle lit and there's incense going and all the music that you hear on the playlist is all by women as well. Uh, So it's like a real economy of sisterhood. Um, And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, it's so gorgeous. Like, every time, like, we leave, and and, and oftentimes, you know, there'll be, like, different hosts, like, guest hosts, like, um, like, uh, sometimes, like, a host with, um, with uh, Dana Ash, who's, like, the founder of Haven and a poet and my best friend, Uh, sometimes with Nicole Farah, who's a psychologist and, um, and also a yoga teacher, so she kind of brings in her, um, Kind of like you know meditation and uh, and stuff like that and so so we are always always mixed you know always been like um different and we're always mixing it up and it's always kind of just based on this notion of us coming together and everybody pitching in and there's different people involved at different times and it's just this gorgeous sisterhood that gathers together and rages together and heals together and laughs together and poets together and then goes back out into the world can we go to one if we go to Beirut? <laughs> please do, please. Let's get this quarantine so over with so we can do some sisterhood gatherings. As soon as we can go places. As soon as, can, as, soon as places are a thing again. No, no one's exactly. going anywhere. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And gathering with multiple people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. As soon as that's allowed again in year yeah. 2050 or whatever. Oh, like, God. God yeah. damn. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing, though. Um, it does. Just, like, any time that, like, art is a way to gather people and create communities just i think my favorite type of art making space for sure and i think i think um, poetry is so much about the community that it brings together as well yeah and, and like literature in general any story in fact storytelling yeah. like storytelling is about like the bringing together of people right storytelling happened around a fire storytelling is the fire the place where you come and you get warm and or, or you or you you know you know you lift uh you you set your you set your um your stake alight and run out into the world like whatever mm-hmm. like it's it's a thing that people gather around yeah yeah Sorry. it's a very collective experience it's not like one person talking at someone else it's exactly like, it it matters who shows up yeah for sure yeah cool um anything else you want to talk about in the beirut context that you have done like related to writing or any other type any other art form that you uh let me see like um i'll probably think of things when i (laughs) as soon as we finish but i guess there's the workshops as well that i do there um I, I again, it's something that I'm missing now during the lockdown. But um, I, 
do like uh, workshops for women and non-binary people um, to come together and again just practice our ability to strengthen our voice and trust our voice and trust our stories so that we can go out in the world and slingshot them out across the patriarchy and make sure that we're heard yes (laughs) fuck yes (laughs) so there's a lot of that going on as well tell us more about the workshops um who normally comes to them um how do people find them like what what's normally like your starting place or the first place you start with for I don't know, teaching people creative writing? Um, it's, it's hard to say. It depends really on the context and it depends on my mood and how I'm feeling at the time. And um, uh, The ones that I was doing there, like there was a series that of workshops that I did. The last series of workshops that I did was at Alia's book, bookstore. Um, and the, we'd gather like around 10 women. I usually don't have any more than 10 per session because it, it, I like... It, there's something important about intimacy I think and, and and making sure that everybody's has space to be heard and be comfortable you know so um we'd gather in the back of the bookstore and 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 write together and wrong together and 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 it was beautiful and uh, and kind of like it built this this community um in the in the three week series that that those workshops ran and then i do workshops all over really because i also do some back in england and i also do a series which is predominantly for other people who are adopted because that's another group of people who you know there's a there's a lot to be said for a narrative having been taken away from you or feeling like you can't you can't speak on that thing because you know, for something like adoption as well, a lot of the time the notion is like, oh, well, you got adopted, so you kind of, your story, that's it, end of story, you were adopted, happily ever after, you're fine, you know, so it's kind of important to kind of come together and be like, yeah, but what happened? Oh, what happened before that? Like, and after, yeah. And after, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. So so those were, re- again, really gorgeous and really, really community building and really uh, just, just, just such a warm space and and the women who gathered for that um for that series you know talked about going on and starting the adoption revolution and going out and telling making sure that they were heard and they were seen and the, and that they were gonna um kind of you know make changes to the way that these things are, are set up in society so so that's really cool i really like how how um creative writing workshops done in a way that's based on building community at, at the same time like if the writing is in equal parts to creating community in the ethos, then I think it can be really galvanizing, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing you said about, like, the way you typically see adoptions stories presented, like the happily ever after thing that stands out, because it's like it doesn't allow people to have any other mixed or complicated feelings. It's like... yeah. This, this was the happy ending. You should only be grateful and feel literally nothing else. And that's just not realistic. Like people people are people and people feel lots of things and there's so much else <laughs> yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And nuance is important. It really is important because I think like, you know, if you, it, this, is, this is why Twitter is successful because people chat their inner nuance online. Yeah. And then other people go, oh, well, oh, damn. I thought that, but I didn't think anybody else was thinking that. 
and that's how you right. that's the kind of great me too-ness of of kind of speaking your nuance out loud that somebody else can feel a little bit less alone in it you know yeah it almost reminds me of like the same way like immigration stories are or like refugee stories are always like they have to be a happily ever after mm-hmm. like oh you you got to the place that's it that's you should it. only End be happy story. and grateful yeah. and that just leaves so right. little room for people to like have all these feelings that yeah. obviously you're gonna have because you're in a place that in an ideal world you may not have been in you know exactly exactly you've yeah. been transplanted somewhere that you possibly had no intention of ever going to yeah and right. and then it's how you're treated in that new place and yeah for sure mm-hmm. immigration stories there is way too much focus on what happens before uh, before the immigration yeah. and how it gets to the immigration and exactly like you say, there's there's very little documenting people's experiences after, and it's it's this notion of as soon. This is kind of the 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 oppressing nature of of the notion of gratefulness, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you should you should be grateful. You know, it's like okay, but you know, you can be. Can't you be other things right. too? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's so much societal pressure in general to suppress your feelings and emotions and this is just like one example huge example of that for sure for sure for sure for sure um yeah i think that's kind of where like personal narrative and creative writing can come in um and like just subvert and complicate all these like super simplistic narratives that we see in the media whether it's about adoption or immigration or just yeah coming out stories literally anything where it's just focuses on this one singular moment as as like the end goal yeah and and really there's so much else going on yeah yeah definitely that's an interesting one to 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 know to kind of yeah like not towards coming out in that sense as well because it is that isn't it that you come out once and it's like anybody who has ever come out knows you come (laughs) out for the rest of your life right right (laughs) like you have to do that like over and over (laughs) or you don't or you don't yeah yeah yeah, whatever (laughs) the story is for that person but um yeah (laughs) Yeah, it certainly isn't a singular occurrence totally yeah even, even if you're negating it even if you're choosing not to come right. out um, even if you're like having to come out to yourself multiple times right like, exactly and it's also choosing time and time again to not come out yeah it's, uh, mm-hmm. you don't make one tidy decision that whether you're out or you're not and then and then that's it you yeah can, there's so much in between space yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and you also do music sometimes. Yeah, um, do you want to talk, talk about that? Yeah, about your music. Oh, because that's how we, how we know each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, I basically the reason that I even do poetry is because of hip hop, and I learned how to write because I was obsessed with lyrics growing up. So I think it's kind of like natural for me to come back to that sometimes. And I try and keep music as like, as like something, as a hobby and try not, and try not to make a career out of it. Like I do with everything else I enjoy. Um, sure, yeah. Hobbies are important, yeah. A couple of years ago for International Women's Day, I released, uh, it was last year actually, wasn't it? I released yeah. Gurgang video. So that had, um, we did a call out across the world for sisterhoods to film themselves 
doing their thing so that we could get together this uh, small kind of video portrait of the global sisterhood yeah. and the song again so and out. Um, I got my whole aerial class to film a clip. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. it's in it. It's in it. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Yeah. I love music it. Music video love debut. It. Oh, no. You've even been in a music video before. Yeah. Okay. Your continued music video career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah? It's my extensive. <laughs> nice. No, um, that was such a cool project. I And it's, it's so, di- like, if you listen to it, it gets stuck in your head. It's so, it's so good. It's so catchy. Yeah, so I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really kind of still riding on the wave with that. Uh, just the, the catchiness of it as well. I really enjoy that people got that stuck in their head because it's a nice one to get stuck in your it head. Is, right? yeah. Like home is where the girl gang hang. Exactly. It's, it's sweet. It's like it's really sweet, and it's uh, no, I love I like and, and like wherever we are in the world. You know, like now it's like, I don't know what you guys, I don't know if you're like locked up with your girl gang or what, but I am missing my girl gang so much, so much. We're locked you know? up together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> girl gang of two. Of two. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. I mean, I'd rather that than girl gang of one. Of one. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I miss being able to um, hang out with particular groups though. No, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like some some Zoom meetings do a pretty decent job Not of, the of same, but, yeah. imitating it, but like um yeah, I'm ready to be out of here. Yeah, yeah, like you happens. say, it imitates it. But at the end of the day, like when you when you when you like click end meeting, and then all of a sudden it's like you're suddenly like back in your room on your own. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. good experience. You we, know? Were, like, we were joking, but maybe not joking about how like once everyone can go to big gatherings like we're not gonna know how to say goodbye anymore we're just gonna be like wait we don't just click a button and we're all <laughs> oh we're also saying like when you're in a social situation that you don't want to be you can't just be like oh my connection is this malfunction. <laughs> my connection malfunction. i've been reveling on that seriously like, just... <laughs> having wi-fi issues just my internet cut out i don't know what happened there <laughs> right <laughs> i i wonder how awkward it's gonna be like when people are saying goodbye or like trying to leave somewhere i'm already bad at saying goodbye. yeah like, i are, i already stop talking or just start buffering yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, totally. No, it's going to be really weird. I think we're all going to be super socially. Ang- I don't know, like, not everybody, I guess. But, like, there is going to be an element of social anxiety, I think, when we all come back together. Yeah, because we're just training ourselves right now to, like, be afraid of people when we see them in real life. And, like, uh. yeah, we physically avoid each other. But, but there's also this, like, avoiding eye contact thing, yeah, which is happening. Which is not necessary, but people but are doing it. I wanted, but it's like, I feel like I'm supposed to. Same. Yeah, and I think it's just going to be just... We're just going to have this trained fear of being around people when we start doing it again. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really need anything to make me more afraid of other people. Yeah, I'm already pretty afraid of that. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I'm already anxious enough. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. This is just kind of like reinforcing like a pretty a pretty negative narrative in my mind to yeah. just avoid people. Now the world has been like, good, stay away <laughs> from people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, here's your experience. Use it for as long as you can. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 
Um, well, yeah. This was so much fun. Um, maybe, do you want to wrap it up by reading us something? I would love to. You know, I want to read you something on um, mixed heritageness because I think that conversation was really uh, interesting that we shared there. Yeah. And I have a small piece. And it's called Where the Conflict Ends, and it's split into three parts, which is what, how, why. So it goes, what? They say, stay in your lane, but I straddle the cat's eyes. Cars honking on either side, yelling, get out of our way. An amber traffic light reflects my face, saying, hello, Luane. If Earth is our mother, then countries are our fathers. Her oceans are swelling salt tears, an endless grief. If we can make the pain stop between us, the sea levels might cease to stop rising. How? My Jewish grandmother, an orphan arriving in northern England off a boat, assimilates to Manchester with clotted cream and scones. Far away... My Muslim grandmother in a hijab of Damascene cloth picks figs from her jasmine-scented garden after moss. In my body, they meet, sharing the wine of my blood, looking out at the world that divides them through my single set of British eyes. Why? To all who know the conflict, who turn up looking like the oppressor at the threshold of their homeland, halfland, whose otherness is a symptom of flight, who had taters what I end up for lunch and mum's Yorkshire puddings for tea, whose throats don't fit around the words they always heard aunties speak. In our bodies, the world comes together. Our bodies are the prayer for peace. That was beautiful. It was. The, the term half-land will stay with me. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've... That. Um, and, yeah, where can people, like, contact you, follow you? So I'm on Instagram as Luxy, L-U-X-X-Y underscore Lux. And I'm on Twitter as uh, Lisa Lux underscore Love and underscore apparently, and uh, and uh, and then and then there's a Facebook page, Lisa Lux, so they can find me on on any of these platforms. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and we're going to outro with the um, a clip of Girl Gang, so we hope amazing. Enjoy. Go check out the video. Go check uh, out the full video. Yeah. Thank you both. Grateful I am for the pain I've seen because now I know how to stop your wounds from bleeding. When I hit rock bottom, my girls jump too. Brought a bag of.